a great weekend so far. Uh, please, please, would you remain standing as we read God's word? My name is Dara, and I'm going to be reading today's sermon scripture. The scripture reading is going to be from James chapter 3, verse 13, through chapter 4, verse 3. If you'd like to read along in the Blue Bibles on your pew, you can find the passage on page 587. That is 587. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Will you, uh, will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. And as we see every single week, it, it speaks to our real life. It speaks to things that, that we need to hear and uncovers things that are in our hearts that we need to see. And Father, today, is, as we explore this passage in the book of James, I pray that your spirit would be our helper. We're certainly going to talk about some of these things in relation to marriage, but also just in any relationship. God, would you uncover the passions of our heart? Would you uncover the, the desires that have been unsatisfied and, and that therefore lead us to, to bite at one another and to fight? And God, would you, would you give us the greater wisdom of being peaceable, open to reason? God, would you give us the greater wisdom that comes from you that is concerned with the relationship and not just with ourselves. And so God, so much of that has to be done by your spirit. And so I pray that today, God, your spirit would unite your power with my weak words and help us to see what's really in our hearts and, and what's really causing these fights and quarrels that we have in relationship. And so God, would you lead us? Would you be our helper? 
In Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, uh, I want to welcome those of you who are new. My name is Josh, and uh, I'm excited that you're here. Uh, you join us as we go through a short series uh, on the topic of marriage, uh, and we've named this series Contested Marriage. Uh, I, I believe that marriage is in some ways a, a competition, uh, but not in the way that, that competition against one another, but, but marriage, whether it grows healthy or unhealthy, is so often the, the consequence of a competition between competing desires, competing ambitions and mindsets. And, and we're really spending the whole month of October looking at some of those things that compete for our marriage. And, and really much of these, as I, as I prayed, are, are not exclusive to marriage, but show up in every human relationship. And, and today, as we continue through that series, I want, I want to talk with you about the competing realities of peace versus animosity. Peace versus animosity. Let, let me ask you a question that I really want you to answer in your own mind. How do you keep peace with one another? I want you to reflect just shortly. If you find yourself in a relationship, whether in marriage or whatever relationship, how do you maintain peace? What are the things that you've done to, to keep peace with one another? How do, you, how do you keep from letting the relationship devolve into animosity toward one another? How do you do that? How have you done that? What have you tried? Because relational peace is a critical topic for any relationship, and, and we seek help for it from all kinds of sources. We're always looking at how to get better with one another, how to connect and be more at peace with another person. And in fact, there's, there's a few newsletters uh, put out by some newspapers here in Seattle that really revolve around this, where people write into the newspaper with a certain question about, how do I deal with this? How do I, how do I walk through this difficulty with this person? And, and people try to, try to get an answer. It's, it's, a, it's a really entertaining one in many ways, actually. But people want experts to give them answers on how to, how to deal with this question of peace. How to navigate difficult aspects of a relationship. And, and while many of these sources that try to help in establishing relational peace can be helpful, I, I do find that, that many of them miss what's really the driver of conflict. Like why we're really fighting. It, it misses that and therefore misses how peace is actually established. Many of them look to give just conflict resolution tips, right? Here's how you just resolve conflict or even relationship hacks on, on how to just stop fighting with one another so frequently. But these relationship hacks, they don't usually get down to the bottom of things. They never really go to what's really causing fights. They just kind of maintain the status quo, but in a more calm nature, right? But never really address what's really going on. Now, let me illustrate it this way from, from my own experience. I've, I've shared this before, but the first few years of Courtney and I's marriage was incredibly tough. We've been open about that and honest. It, it was tough. We are two completely different human beings, completely different, who see things in a completely different way. And so, unsurprisingly, those first few years were, were really tough, a lot of fights and a lot of animosity toward one another. But, but then, really around year three, things began to change. 
Arguments certainly became less frequent, but more than that, we, we actually learned how to argue with one another well, which is critical in marriage, right? <laughs> marriage is, this might be too negative of a statement, but marriage is choosing who you want to fight with for the rest of your life, right? <laughs> Amen? <laughs> or who you want to fight well with, at least. After three years of marriage, Courtney and I began to understand how to argue with one another better, and that made things better. They certainly did, but, but friends, although the arguments looked different and though they were more productive and peaceful, the arguments still carried the same sense of deep frustration. We were fighting about the same things. Are we the only couple who's done that? The same things come up again and again and again, and those, those, though those fights were, were less argumentative and less explosive, they still carried in them a sense of just being against one another, one against the other. And it really wasn't until this last year, the last couple of years that we finally began to grow out of that. We had, we had learned the relational hacks that made for more peaceful fights, but that didn't actually translate into more peace for the relationship. There's a difference between more peaceful arguments and peace in a relationship. So what was it? What, what needed to change? Well, that, that, that's exactly what I want to be talking about today. What needs to change in a relationship in order to actually cultivate peace? It is good and it is needed to try to understand how to argue better with one another. It's good and needed to try and get a hold on how to not let arguments escalate. But, but there's more that is needed in order for relational peace to really be Established and, and together, that, that more is what I want to uncover today. And, and the Apostle James will be our helper in uncovering that. So the letter of James is wrote, it wrote, my voice, my tongue, I can't get anything to work well for me today. Um, the letter James wrote is incredibly relational. If you read through the whole thing, it is so relational. There's aspects of, of theology that James covers, but in many ways, in comparison to some of the other writers of the New Testament, James deals with really specific and unique relational questions. And here in our section for today, he unpacks the necessity of wisdom, the necessity of wisdom as he unfolds what is the real source of relational conflict. So James opens up and he, and he asks a rhetorical question. Who is wise and who is understanding among you? Who is wise? Who is really understanding? Let them show that through their good conduct in the meekness of wisdom. So James starts off the topic of relational peace by commending to us wisdom. Now, now, now what, what is wisdom? Is, is wisdom just the relational hacks that I mentioned earlier? Is, is wisdom simply tips and tricks on how to not fight with one another so often? No, it, it's more than that. Wisdom is the ability to apply situational knowledge, right? It's the ability to know something and know how to apply it. Like the old adage says, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad, right? That would be disgusting. <laughs> Wisdom is situational. It has to do with how we take what we know and apply it to real life situations. And so wisdom takes a certain course of action that will best fit 
some intended goal. Wisdom is all about knowing the the right methods and the right means by which to accomplish a goal that we have together. Wisdom sees things in focus. It, It takes what's going on and places it in proper relation to everything else is going on, that is going on. And wisdom, the Apostle James says, is what we need if we are going to have relational peace. We've got to have wisdom, and we'll get into how that works out in a second, but I think it's just worth calling out, again, something that's really important. The Apostle James tells us wisdom is critical for relational peace, which means this, love alone is not enough. Love alone is not enough. I talked about this last week as we went through the realities of grace versus bitterness, right? And it's worth saying it again here. Love alone is not enough for you to have a relationship filled with peace. The idea that Love is all you need is is this cultural narrative that fills our romantic lives so often. And and I want to help you notice that it's not necessarily true. Love is not all that you need. Love is incredible. Love is, of course, critical. And at the end of the series, we're going to explore some of what love really is. But a relationship that is built exclusively on love as if that's the only thing without all the other virtues and practices to to support that love, it's a shaky structure that can fall as soon as some of that love is lost, right? We need to have wisdom. If we have love alone, things are going to fall apart. Listen, I've shared this in the past. I'm a big fan of drama and junk TV, right? And friends, if you watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians, (laughs) anybody, anybody else here? Am I the only sinner? Oh, two people. Well, let me catch you up on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Um, There's many relationships in Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and uh, there are many romantic relationships. But the one, and some of those romantic relationships have love, right? It looks like they love one another. But can I tell you something that Keeping Up with the Kardashians does not have? Can you say it with me? Wisdom. (laughs) Wisdom. Oh, my gosh. And because of that, Some of those relationships in that show just fall apart and yeah, that's just TV and that's just kind of funny to watch, but it's actually showing, it's actually illustrating something for us. We can't just have love, we have to have wisdom with one another. To have relational peace, to solve the problems of relational animosity, we need more than just love. We need wisdom, we need to have the ability to devise specific means toward a specific goal. We need wisdom with one another. But here's the problem. If you paid attention, while Dara was reading the scripture reading, you you saw this. James speaks of two very different kinds of wisdom, right? So, So wisdom is employing specific means to meet a specific goal, cool, but there are two different kinds of wisdom that James speaks of. One is from below, is what he says, and one is from above. So so first, there there is the wisdom that is from below, as James describes it. James describes this wisdom as as being rooted in jealousy and selfish ambition. This this wisdom is, is earthly. It's unspiritual, 
and even demonic. Did anybody else see that coming? It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. That's a strong word to describe this. And it is this wisdom that is in many ways the cause of disorder in every vile practice, as James says. So what is this? What what is this wisdom? Well, what James is speaking of here is the wisdom that is defined by taking specific means to satisfy an ungodly and unhealthy goal. It is the wisdom that is defined by taking specific means to satisfy an ungodly and unhealthy goal, which leaves the question, what is that goal? The satisfaction of the self. Again, it is driven by selfish ambition, driven by greed and jealousy. And and as James makes clear later in the text, the ambition that is selfish is the one that is wholly devoted to having one's passions satisfied and fulfilled. It is driven by selfish ambition. And James says that the reason for our fights and quarrels is because we have these desires that are at war within us. We have these desires that go unsatisfied. And those desires are so strong that to have them go unfulfilled and to have them go unsatisfied causes us to bite at one another and to fight. And so chronic relational conflict is what happens when we have a core commitment to the satisfaction of our own desires that don't ever get fulfilled. We want what we want, and when we don't get it, we fight. We want what we want, and when we don't get it, we fight. That's the wisdom that is below. And that's really easy to understand, and it's really easy to see, right? Everything down from a toddler to our adult relationships, this fills our relationships. And so it's common, but because it's common, I I don't want you to miss the, the vile nature of it. How vile this wisdom can really get. Friends, we are so often committed to the satisfaction of our own desires so strongly that we are willing to sacrifice, and I say willing on purpose, we are willing to sacrifice the peace and the connection of a relationship. We want what we want so bad that the moment it goes unsatisfied, we get petty. Oh, we get angry, we get vindictive. All because we didn't get what we wanted. These are the vile practices that James is speaking of. Let let, let me ask you this. How often do you make someone pay for their failure to satisfy what you want? How often do you make them pay? And more than that, what's the method you use, i.e. the wisdom? (laughs) What's the method you use to make them pay? Maybe you use the, the silent treatment a vile practice that intentionally creates distance. Or maybe you make someone pay by doing even more for them. That sounds strange, what is that? What do you, what do you mean? Well, well, you do more for them only so that they'll feel poorly about the little they've done. Your doing more in the relationship is done in order to make them feel small in their relationship, to make them feel like the problem or the weak link. 
vile practices that we commit out of a petty, unsatisfied desire. All of this like a bunch of toddlers because we didn't get what we wanted. Friends, the the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic is the wisdom that plans out specific steps to make someone pay for what they didn't give you. To make someone suffer the consequences of your unsatisfied desire. That's the wisdom that is from below. But there's another wisdom. One that James actually commends to us, right? Now, it's the relational wisdom that has its sights set not on the satisfaction of the self alone, but on the relationship itself. It's the wisdom that plans out specific steps, uses specific methods in order to serve the relationship, in order to better the relationship rather than just our own place in it. And he actually gives, thankfully, a pretty robust description of this wisdom, right? I mean, James literally lays out for us the specific means that this wisdom takes in order to accomplish peace in the relationship. So James says that, that first, it's pure. This wisdom is pure. It's, it's not corrupted by selfish ambition, but pure in the way that it approaches the other person. Friends, it's, it's not polluted with selfishness. It's concerned not with how we are satisfied, but with how the relationship is maintained and made better. There's a purity in its intent. Second, he says that this wisdom is is peaceable. It's not looking for a fight. It's not looking for a fight. It approaches the conversation with as much neutrality as possible. It is peaceable in its nature because it's not approaching the conversation looking for something to pounce on looking for something to capitalize on for our own vindication. It's not looking for those things. It's peaceable. It's also gentle, what James says. Its approach to the relationship is not harsh. It doesn't use biting statements that are thrown like small jabs at one another, right? It's gentle with the other person. It treats the other person with gentleness. It is soft with the vulnerability of the conversation. It is open to reason, he says. Wow, this one, open to reason, meaning that it's willing to be talked out of being right. It's willing to hear the other side and even willing to discover that after hearing the other side, it is indeed wrong. (laughs) That's a rare one. Anybody else? Talk back to me, amen, that's a big one, golly. But even when it is right, it is full of mercy and good fruits, he says. Now, now James put these two together because good fruits often follow an abundance of mercy. The, the mercy that this wisdom gives usually results in a sense of just kind of productivity for the conversation. It doesn't hold the others wrong in their face. It doesn't gloat over the failures of the other person, but covers those failures with mercy. And finally, it is impartial and sincere. And this might be the toughest one of all for us to practice, impartiality. It approaches a conversation free of what it already thinks, of what it already believes. It comes to the table with a sense of not holding tightly the preconceived notions about what needs to happen in the relationship, and it does so with sincerity. It's not fake 
This, friends, is the wisdom that is from above. This is how God would have us approach one another in relationship. It is the wisdom we should have, the wisdom that lays out, again, specific tactics, but working toward the goal of relational peace. If you've been paying attention this whole time, you, you, you might really see what all of this comes down to. It comes down to your passions versus peace. Peace versus animosity, yeah, that's the title of the sermon, but what creates that animosity, that anger at one another are the passions that we have. And James lays out these two wisdoms. These two wisdoms have two very different gravitational centers. One revolves around passions of the self, revolves exclusively around it, and the other revolves around peace with one another. Animosity is a result of unsatisfied passions that have been made to be ultimate. The things we care the most about go unsatisfied, and so we bite at one another and hold animosity toward one another. Friends, it's passions versus peace. What are we to do? <laughs> I, want, I want to slowly end by asking this. How are we supposed to, if, if the problem at least at first seems to be with our passions, how are we supposed to deal with our passions? Our passions seem to be the determining factor in all of this, so, so how do we deal with them? Well, here's what I would say. The, the first step in dealing with your passions, your desires in a relationship is to do something that might sound counterintuitive to the rest of this sermon. Actually acknowledge the validity of these passions, the necessity of these passions. I mean, even if you notice how James talks about it, he doesn't necessarily condemn having passions, having desires. He doesn't speak negatively about desires in a relationship. Instead, he condemns how we react when those passions go unsatisfied. So James lays out the problem in our relationships, the reason why we are so, have such animosity toward one another is not necessarily that we have passions, but rather that we react negatively to those passions going unfulfilled. And so friends, of course you want something in a relationship, right? Of course you want something. None of us are neutral machines that get into relationship with other people purely out of objectivity. <laughs> you have a desire. There's something in you that approaches that person in order to have that desire fulfilled. And those, some, many of those things are good. Many of the things that we want in a relationship are good. We can acknowledge that. But second, in dealing with these passions, we have to identify what it is that we really want. So the passions mostly can be good, but, but what are we after in them? What are we so hungry for in our souls? What is it that we're after? What do you want? So when you fight with one another, what's really causing that? It's not really that you just, you want to be, you know, you want some help around the house or you want more attention here or whatever. There's a deeper ache that's making you fight. There's something deeper in you that is aching. And so it's not just that you want more of this, but you actually want to feel accepted. 
It's not, the, it's not just that you want equality in household responsibilities, but actually that you want to know your work is not going unseen and unappreciated. It's not just that you want your spouse to have more conversations with you. It's actually that you want depth in the midst of a crazy life. In order to deal with your passions, your desires, you have to identify what those things are really after. What do you really want? Let, let, let me just list off some of the things that I think you probably want in your relationship and kind of let you self-identify your desires, okay? Many of us want affirmation, acceptance, vulnerability, safety. Maybe you want equity or equal standing in the relationship. Maybe you want responsiveness. You have a, you, you have a desire to, to have this sense of being taken care of. You want acknowledgement, you want understanding. You want cooperation. You want unity. There's a whole slew of things that we want and many of them good things to want. So what is it that you're after? I would encourage you, if you're, if you're married or even if you're in a relationship with someone, today, later today, would you just tell them, here's what I'm after. Here's what I want. So often the reason why we fight, the reason why I have animosity towards you is because there's this deep desire in my heart that is going unfulfilled and I just feel the need to express that. That might be one of the healthiest things you can do for your marriage today. That's an easy step. What do you want? What do you have to identify it and make it known? But here's, here's the kicker. And here's the final way to deal with these passions and desires. Stop competing with the desires of the other person. Stop competing in your desires. I mentioned at the beginning the tough go that Courtney and I had in the first beginning of our marriage, but things turned more calm after year three, like I said. But even though they turned more calm, there was still this undergirding animosity toward one another. And that's because even though we stopped biting at one another in arguments, we never stopped competing with one another in our passions. Our arguments got more calm, but we never stopped competing with one another in our passions. Friends, peace is not just the absence of conflict, but is rather the absence of competition. We fight with one another so often because we believe that the satisfaction of someone else's desire might mean the loss of our own. We think we have to fight for room in the relationship for your desire to be fulfilled. And so because there's only a finite amount of room in that relationship, you fight with one another, putting yourself first. But friends, that's not always true. It doesn't always mean the satisfaction of someone else's desire means the loss of your own. Sometimes, I mean, yeah, sometimes it's a sacrifice. But in order to lose our animosity, we have to lose this sense of competition. We have to see that our desires don't have to be in competition with the other person's desire. Again, the good news is this. Friends, your relationship through humility can be big enough to satisfy both of you. 
Now, again, sometimes it's certainly going to take sacrifice, but through humility and mutual service to one another, your relationship can be big enough to hold your desires without crowding out the desires of the other person. When your passions are not competing with one another, when you're not fighting one another for space in the relationship, you can actually have peace. Our animosity tells us otherwise. It tells us that we have to fight, right? We believe that to prefer the other person, to defer to what they want, will always mean that we don't get what we want. Oh, we have this scarcity mindset in relationships. To believe that service to someone else means scarcity for ourselves. If you want peace in your relationship, you've gotta let that go. You've gotta let that scarcity mindset go. We can see that the service we give to one another doesn't mean that we are relegated to being uncared for, unseen, and unsatisfied. Through mutual humility, there is space enough for the both of you. So peace versus animosity. In order to solve that fight, in order to move that toward peace, you gotta deal with your passions. And the best way to do that quickly is to stop competing with one another and your passions, but serve one another in humility. And more more than anything, friends, that that scarcity mindset that I just mentioned is, is defeated not only when we serve one another and and see that we can serve one another. But more than anything, if you have a hard time believing that there's enough room in your relationship for both your desires, friends, you can certainly believe that there's enough room in God to satisfy those aches that you have. Those desires that you have for affirmation, acceptance, safety, all of the things that I just mentioned, if those desires aren't getting met in marriage and they're not always going to, friends, There's room enough in God for that to be fulfilled. And so I would just end in encouraging you in the same way that I've encouraged you over the last couple weeks, run to God with your deepest desires. It's good that you had a desire coming into marriage, but there's something deeper there that only God can satisfy. And the good news is, is you already have peace with him. You already have peace. It's not something you have to create. It's not something you have to maintain. It's something that you can walk into. You can take those deep desires of your heart and have them satisfied in God because God, in his wisdom, sent Jesus Christ to the cross in order to make peace with us. And so, friends, would you, would you run to Jesus? I feel like I've ended every sermon the last couple of weeks just saying that, and I'm gonna say it again. You just run to Jesus where you're unsatisfied in your marriage, where you're angry in your relationship, would you take that to Jesus and believe that he's able to satisfy those things? And even himself is, is the great maker of peace. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, God, you are, you are the peacemaker. Even, even what James says in that section that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God, that's exactly what you've done in Christ Jesus. You've borne for us a harvest of righteousness that was sown in peace as you made peace with us through the cross of your son. 
We praise you for that, Father. And, and we pray that the peace we have with you would give us the space we need to process our unsatisfied desires. And in being able to process those things with you, we would, we would cease to bite at one another. We would cease to have animosity toward one another and actually experience peace. So God, even now as we reflect, take communion and worship, God, would you reveal the desires of our hearts? And would you give us a strong conviction that in every one of those, you are able to satisfy us, God. You are our portion. You are what we need and ultimately what we want. So God, help us to know that and believe that. In Jesus' name, amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.